Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Those are the first five verses of Psalm 106, the first 18 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Monday, October the 4th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm John Green, your host. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate that very much. We are continuing our look at the kings of Judah. Uh, We have passed on beyond Hezekiah to his son Manasseh today, and this is not a pretty reading at all. 2 Kings 21, verses 1 through 18. We're also still in the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthian church. And we're beginning our reading in the 10th chapter of the 14th verse and continuing through the 11th chapter of the first verse. And in the gospel, we're in Matthew 8, 28 to 34. <clears throat> so what we get in this Second Kings lesson is um, that Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. He's, he's the son of Hezekiah, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hephzibah. And then we're told this, He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And why were they instructed to drive those people out of the land? Because their sin had polluted the land. And Manasseh returns to the worst of those sins in his reign. And the Lord allowed him to reign for 55 years. It's one of the things that that we get caught up in is we, we, we have this sense of immediacy where things are going to be taken care of right away. But the Lord put up with Manasseh and his abominations for 55 years. Sometimes what we need to understand is, is that the Lord doesn't always act quickly. He acts in his time. He gave this people 55 years to deal with the problem, and they didn't. They played follow the leader. And that's the problem. That, that's the main issue, is, is the Lord waits for us to take action as well. We are the people of God, and we have a responsibility to, to call things out, to say, no, we will not participate in this nonsense, because we will follow him and him alone. And it's one of the things that I think that we find more difficult than, than I could ever have imagined, and, and that is we will participate in the nonsense of the nations. We will allow these things into our churches. I'm not saying we can allow them into the land. The, the Israel is different, but the problem is we allow these things in the church as well. And so um, what he says, he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed, the high places where, where pagan gods were worshipped. He erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah and Ahab, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. I mean, you see this over and over again. There's so many churches in America today that are filled with the same kind of nonsense. I've been around too much. I mean, when we were confirmed in the Episcopal Church, a friend of ours said, hey, I'd like to sponsor you. And she went to the class with us. So this class lasted about six weeks or whatever. And at the end, he asked the question, does anybody here have any questions? And one person, I asked some things, and then she asked. She said, "Um, no, he's... 
he said, is there, she said, what do you do if you about the creed, if you have any trouble with a part of it? And he said, well, for instance, the double procession from the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. No, 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 the whole thing about Jesus being the incarnate Son of God. I had to go to the priest and say, that person cannot be my sponsor because that person's not a Christian. And he agreed wholeheartedly, was thrilled to death. <clears throat> he ended up becoming a mentor. At, at one point in my life, and so uh, I'm grateful for that. But but then within a couple of years, she was uh, a youth leader in the church. We, we're allowing this nonsense. We're allowing this same kind of stuff into the church. Uh, I, I had a conversation last week with some people, and they were talking about all this other worship of goddesses and stuff that goes on in their church, um, in their denomination, not in their parish, because uh, she would leave otherwise. But they're leaving the denomination because of this stuff. And so it keeps on and on. He builds altars, even in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So the places where the people could come and hear the word of the Lord were now taken up with altars to other gods. And he burned his son as an offering. I mean, holy moly. Used fortune telling and omens and dealt with mediums and necromancers. I mean, all this stuff is pretty easily condemned. How much evil in the sight of the Lord? He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And the carved images of Asherah that he had made, he set up in the house in which the Lord said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I put my name forever. And I'll not cause the feet of Israel to wander any more out of the land that I gave to their fathers, if only they will be careful to do all according to that I have commanded them, according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen. They did not listen. And Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done, whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. They lost sight of who they were and whose they were, how they got the land. And they began to worship all these other gods because their desires were such that they wanted this, this, and this. And if the Lord prevented them from having it, then they just go find another god who promised to give it to them in some shape, form, or fashion. So the Lord said by his servants, the prophets, because Manasseh, the king of Judah, has committed these abominations and done things more evil than all the Amorites did who were before them and has made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because behold, I'm bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. And I'll stretch out over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria, the northern kingdom, and the plumb line of the house of Ahab. And I'll wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. In other words, I'm looking at them the same way that I looked at that northern kingdom that's gone, gone from the face of the earth. I'm going to deal with them exactly that way. I'll forsake the remnant of my heritage and give them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies." Because they've done what's evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another, besides the sin that he made Judah to sin, so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and the sin that he committed are not, they're not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah. And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his house, in the garden of Uzzah. And Ammon, his son, reigned in his place. I mean, how do you allow wickedness like that? Why did the people not rise up? Why did the priests not rise up? Why did they not oppose all of this? Why did they participate in this? And that word participation is the most important thing. We ask that question in places like Rwanda. Whenever there's a genocide like that, we have to look and say, well, why did you all do this? 
How did the people get so consumed by this idea and, and, and do this genocide? How did the people of Germany not rise up against their leader in Hitler? How, does, how do these things happen? It's because good people fail to do the right things. It's because good people, godly people, refuse to stand up and stand out. We, we're, we're too afraid. No, we, we lose our sense of perspective in that moment. And sometimes it's because, well, everything's good with us. So we'll just keep our little enclave here and we'll be fine with that. We'll, we'll, we'll take what we're allowed because we, we found a way to be comfortable within that. And the, that's the problem. And the church is accommodating itself to the world again and again and again right now. We are capitulating to the world in so many ways. It's absolutely unbelievable. And the Lord's judging the church, I believe, right now. And he's calling us to repent. He's calling us back to him. Are we listening, and will we respond? In that gospel lesson today, we're, we're moving over to Matthew's gospel, and so when he, he, Jesus, comes to the other side, the other side of the lake, remember he sent the disciples on <clears throat> to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him. Now, in Mark's gospel, we only have one demon-possessed man. Does that mean it's a different time? We just don't know whether it is or not. But behold, these men cried out, what have you to... Well, I said they came out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. Behold, they cried out, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? What is the time that they're speaking of there? It's when the world will be judged, including these demonic entities that are here possessing these two men. Now, a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And so they're making a request, and why they make this particular request is open to any number of interpretations, and the reality is we just don't know why they choose the pigs, but these are unclean animals in the eyes of Judaism, remember. And so these these demons, these unclean beings, spirits, are, are asking to go into these unclean pigs, but they're coming from people who are otherwise considered clean. They've been made unclean, probably by sin that allows this these demons access to them. In some way or another, they were messing with stuff they shouldn't have messed with, in the same way that Manasseh's uh, talked Israel into doing. And so here we get this, and Jesus says to them when they beg him, go. But they're not troubling human beings. And so again, here we have a, a situation where we can see the clear distinction drawn between humanity and everything else. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen, the ones who were looking after the pigs, fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. So they focused their story on the men. I mean, it affected them, certainly. It ruined their livelihood. But they're focusing, it says, especially what happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. They were willing to live. They had made accommodation for two demon-possessed men in their midst. They had put them in a place where, okay, we won't go there anymore because there's the demon-possessed. Now, my son lives, my oldest lives in Seattle. There are places they don't go in Seattle because of the homeless and other people there who, who will harass them. And, and, and there's, you know... It, it's a demonic kind of a thing. There's places where there are no-go places in a lot of cities. 
There, we make accommodations in our life all the time. And what it does is it narrows and narrows and narrows down the ways in which we're entitled to live anymore. And now we have way less freedom than we ever realized, but it was encroached a little bit at a time and we were willing to accommodate it because it didn't affect us directly at the time. Well, at least not in a terrible way, you know. So I'll give up a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of this. And and the church is doing that theologically. I don't want to get into too much of a political thing on this, but that's the issue here is is that, that we've accommodated ourselves to the to the sphere of influence that we're allowed to have when that's not what our constitution says. And we need to be clear about the the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And we need to, to push out those things that we've allowed in that are from the kingdom of the world. And that's exactly what Paul's message is here in this passage from 1 Corinthians. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Don't allow it into your midst. Don't allow that to come in. Keep free from it. Keep a distance from idolatry. Show the distinction between the church and the world by what you participate in. Again, participation is the most important word today. He said, I speak as to sensible people, people who have good sense. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the body of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And so what he's saying is, is that you're participating in, it, the word here is koinonia, fellowship. You're having fellowship with Christ and with one another. So our fellowship is bounded, Paul says, and the boundaries are the body and blood of Jesus. He's speaking specifically about communion here, but it's a larger thing than just communion. It's everything about communion. He's not speaking simply of eating and drinking, but he is speaking of eating and drinking. Those two things can't be separated from one another in the argument Paul's making here. If you're going to drink the blood of Christ if you're going in, in the form of wine, and you're going to eat the body of Christ— in the form of the bread, which are spiritually transformed. It transforms you spiritually to become the spiritual presence of God in those things. Then if you're going to participate in that, then how can you also then participate in the worship of demons? And that's exactly what he's saying here, and it's exactly the problem that Paul, that um, the writer of Kings is speaking of it, about is the people willingly participated in both and, and you can't have it. It's either or. So he says, because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So we are brought into the fellowship, not only of Christ, brought into the fellowship of the very Trinity itself. We are, that's our fellowship with one another, and in that fellowship with one another in the body and blood of Christ, it's a, it's a remarkable break with the world. It's saying we believe in a different kingdom and we serve a different king. <laughs> He says, consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. And so those, those who, in the sacrificial system, so this must have been written before the, the destruction of the temple in AD 70. So Paul says, aren't the ones who participate in the sacrifices of the altar, they are participants in the altar. They, they, they share in the koinonia, the fellowship of that altar. Itself. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. And if you knew you were eating something that had been sacrificed to a demon, would you eat it? He said, I don't want you to be participants with demons. And, and with this fellowship of the body and blood of Jesus, he's saying you're taking the Holy Spirit into you in that way. And if these things are sacrificed to demons, you're taking the spirit of that demon into you as well. <coughs> He says, should we provoke the—he says, you can't <clears throat> drink the—what do I imply then that 
this, I don't want you to be a participant with demons. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful. That's what people say, right? I have freedom in Christ, but not all things are helpful, Paul says. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Why would you do this? Why would you do these things when they're tearing down, not building up? He said, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And that neighbor can be a brother in Christ, or he cannot be a brother or sister in Christ. He said, eat whatever's sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Don't ask too many questions about these things, Don't, but don't eat. But, you know, just you can buy those things in the market. Otherwise, there'd be no place for you in society. You starve to death. He says, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever's set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But... If someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. So somebody tells you that person offered that up as a sacrifice to an idol, to a demon, Paul says, then don't eat it. If somebody tells you that because you don't want them to see you abuse your freedom because it's important to them that you that you understand this this reality of the sacrificing to demons. <laughs> He said, I don't mean your conscience, for why should the, my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I gave, for which I gave thanks? I offered thanks to the Lord, no matter what anybody else had done. He said, so whatever, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. No matter what you do, make sure God's first. Make sure that everything you do would be pleasing to him. If you do all for the glory of God, that will constrain your conduct, right? I mean, because there's certain things that you know I can't do that to the glory of God. And that's what Paul's saying. Make those choices to do it in this way, always giving thanks to God for everything you receive. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, seeking not my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Because who did Jesus eat with? I mean, what was his constant accusation? He eats with, with those unclean tax collectors and other sinners like that. And so Paul says, don't avoid that fellowship with the world in, in the sense of allowing yourself to be um, a witness in the same way that Jesus did. He's not having that kind of koinonia fellowship at a deep spiritual heart level, he's separating himself from those things that are of the world that are in opposition to Christ, but he's allowing himself to be part of things in order that he might have the opportunity to preach the gospel by all means. So we've got to be careful about everything we do, and we need to be in Christ in everything that we do. We need to be bold in our decision. Perfect.